Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more, saying, he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Jesus is leaving Jericho, heading toward Jerusalem and what will ultimately become the triumphal entry that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. He is going and the crowds are following him and they're thinking they're following him into Jerusalem to crown him king. The kingdom is finally going to be restored. The Messiah is finally here. This is a big deal. And you have Bartimaeus on the side of the road here crying out. He's, he's been on the side of the road for a long time. He's been begging on the side of this street for a long time. He has been blind and disabled for a long time. And he's crying out to Jesus, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Well, we've got a parade happening. And the parade is going to crown Jesus king. But you got this vagabond who keeps trying to get Jesus' attention. Why do these guys always show up to these things? We can't seem to have anything nice around here, right? And they're telling him, shh, hold your peace. Hold your peace. That's a King James phrase for shut up. All right. Hold your peace. We got important things happening here. This is important. We don't have time to stop and deal with your issues. We'll take care of you again tomorrow, all right? Just chill. <laughs> but Jesus heard his cries. Yes. Jesus stopped the parade. Jesus called for him. And Jesus healed him. As we study through these, these historical accounts, I used to call them stories. Stories is what you read to your kids at bedtime. As we read through these historic accounts, we need to learn to take them in perspective. Because when you read about Jesus doing a miracle, there is a spiritual application as well as a physical application. And there's something to learn there. And when we read through these historical accounts, we need to learn to see ourselves in the story. And in this case, we are blind Bartimaeus. Hopefully we're not the people saying, be quiet. We're not going to do that this morning. I could preach that sermon, but we're not going to do that. Because I think all of us, and in some way this morning, feel like blind Bartimaeus. Something is happening within our lives that's robbing our joy. Something is happening in our lives that is stealing our hope. Something has got us feeling like we have wound up in the ditch. 
Or maybe you're in a good spot right now. Praise the Lord for it. The story of blind Bartimaeus is our story. It's our story of hopelessness and despair. It's our story of grace and redemption. And it's our story of following Jesus. Let's talk about hopelessness and despair. In verse 46, they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. Bartimaeus. Here's what we know about Bartimaeus. He went by Bart for short. I'm kidding. He was blind. Y'all ever been blind? That's not fun. Um, I've never been blind, but I have been severely nearsighted. And you just, you know, when, when you're severely nearsighted and you don't have your glasses, you just kind of feel like you're fumbling through life. I've had situations where I had a spike in blood pressure, which blurred my vision here a couple of years ago. I had a helicopter blow a camera strap into my right eye and scratch the cornea at one point. And so you've got this white haze in front of your vision at all times and it just it, it it's frustrating it's it's um debilitating it messes with you and if you've ever been blinded you've ever had a period of time that you could not use your eyes it takes away a lot of your security and Bartimaeus we don't know how long he was blind but we know that he was blind by the time that he meets Jesus and that's a dark literally a dark hopeless place to be he was blind. Now, when you're blind, you can't do much. And when you can't do much, employers don't want to hire you. There wasn't an Americans with Disabilities Act back then. There wasn't a disability program through Social Security back then. There was, there was not, um, there, was, there was no welfare, nothing to help this man out. He has just been relegated to begging on the side of the road. There's not a lot of excess income, so there's not a lot of people throwing quarters into his change bucket. Now, in today's time, I've seen reports where folks who stand on the side of the road can actually gather quite a bit of money. I don't know if that's true or not. But I know in Bartimaeus' day, to be a beggar, and let's face it, to be a beggar today is not exactly a cakewalk either. But back in Bartimaeus' day, to be a beggar meant absolute poverty. And he's hopeless. It's not going to get any better. He can't go to the eye doctor and get LASIK laser vision correction. He can't do it. Now imagine what that must be like. What it must be like, and some of y'all can identify with some of this. What it must be like to be disabled, to no longer be able to do for yourself. Um, that's when, I, when I work in hospice, that's one of the things that really bothers my patients is things that they have always been able to do for themselves, suddenly they can't do for themselves. It's a disability. It's disheartening. It's, it's discouraging. It's hopeless to be disabled, to be destitute. Janis Joplin saying freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. But really, when you've got nothing left to lose, what have you got? There's, there's nothing to cling on to. There's hopelessness to be destitute. Imagine going through all of this and to know for a fact scientifically proven that it will not get better. It cannot get better. No matter what happens, it will never get better. That tomorrow, 
I will awaken to the same struggle I am dealing with today, and I'm going to deal with that struggle again tomorrow, and the next day, and the day after. It will never get better. I will never feel better. I will never turn the corner. I will never overcome. We go through these physical struggles. Sometimes these physical struggles take on a spiritual component as well. We may struggle physically. It will never get better. The doctor says you'll just have to learn to deal with the pain. You'll always have to deal with this. You'll always have a limp. You'll always have that spot in your vision. You'll always have this happening. Um, you'll never get the golf swing back. You will you know, just, just, you know, this disease will progress. Eventually you'll forget this and eventually you won't be able to do that. You know, it'll never get better. And there's the physical end of that. But it also plays into the spiritual end as well. Because just as Bartimaeus was blind, poor, and hopeless physically, we started out in life blind, poor, and disabled spiritually. Have you ever suffered from spiritual blindness? This is the inability to see the truth. This is the inability to accept what God's word says at its face value. It's a block from true faith. And you may know that you need to believe. You may know that you need to trust. But for some reason you just can't seem to do it. You just can't seem to take that step. You just can't seem to accept. It's a block. Spiritual blindness. It's the inability to interpret and to understand scripture. I remember the first time I was appointed to teach a youth Sunday school class. I was still a lost man. And I struggled because I could open the Bible. And there are certain Bible passages that anybody should be able to understand. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that, in, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I could teach that verse. All right. But then you open up to Daniel chapter 1. I had no clue what to do with that. This is, okay, there y'all have it. Daniel is taken prisoner. Uh, yeah, got to trust God even when you're taken prisoner. All right, let's pray and go have donuts. All right, that was, that was my youth Sunday school class. I, you know, I had an inability to comprehend what God was saying through his word. I had a spiritual blindness. And the spiritual blindness is often characterized by several different things. It can be characterized by delusions. You can totally believe things that are not true. You can be caught up in, I mean conspiracy theories you can be caught up in this one person had this divine revelation the rest of the world is wrong they must be right you know that, that that's a delusion that's that's spiritual blindness uh, spiritual blindness can also be characterized by a sinful lifestyle a lot of people are living in sin a lot of people are justifying their sin because well god's just going to forgive them that's spiritual blindness Spiritual blindness is seeing what the sin really is and seeing the destructive effects that it really has. Spiritual sight is seeing what sin is. Spiritual blindness is being blind to it. Spiritual blindness is saying, why can't I commit this sin? No victim, no crime. It's deteriorating your soul. And when you have spiritual sight, you see that. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Uh, spiritual blindness is often characterized by self-righteousness. Do you know why people are self-righteous? Because they don't understand what sin is. And so they have convinced themselves that they don't have any of it in them. Yeah. 
Have you ever noticed that the people who are the worst at their jobs think they're the best at it? Have you ever noticed that? The new guy they just hired is the best at this. I'm, I'm the best there is in this office. Dude, you just started. Yeah, but I'm the best. You're not that good at it. No, no, I'll rock. You know, it's like, well, why does he think that way? Because he doesn't know all the components to the job that he's not doing. You see what I'm saying? My first night delivering pizzas, I thought I was knocking that out of the park. I'm getting pizzas to people's doors within 10 minutes of them ordering the pizzas. I am the best pizza driver ever lived. Yeah. Boss man says, you got a stack of dishes in the kitchen you haven't even touched. What's wrong with you? I didn't understand the components of the job. I was blind to the to the responsibility to wash the dishes, okay? Spiritual blindness creates a self-righteousness because we have somehow convinced ourselves, if we're spiritually blind, that we're righteous. And I obtain this. I got here. I do this. I live right. I go to church. I give my tithe. I don't say cuss words. I abhor. I despise profanity. I only watch TVN or, or something. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm making stuff up here, okay? And the problem with self-righteousness is when you find the brother that is struggling in sin, he's struggling with a temptation, you don't like him. He's a failure. He's a loser. If he just make the same right decisions I made, he'd be better. And so there's a certain anger that develops because of this. That's spiritual blindness. All right? Spiritual blindness can take the form of being offended at the things of God. So when somebody gets offended that you pray in Jesus' name, that there's Ten Commandments on the courthouse, that there's a cross on display somewhere, that's spiritual blindness. But sometimes it happens in church. Sometimes in church, we people get offended because the church is prioritizing things that they don't think ought to be prioritized. I don't know why we're sending all those monies to missionaries. We still got to put a floor down. We don't have money to send to missions if we still got bare concrete. What's God more interested in? Vinyl? No. Tile? No. Souls? You see, there's a spiritual blindness yes. that happens sometimes. Yeah. And just as Bartimaeus was poor physically, people today can be poor spiritually. There can be a spiritual poverty. Yeah. Revelation three seventeen and 18, Jesus says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Well, there, here we go talking about sight again. Yes. <laughs> Spiritual poverty takes on many forms. Spiritual poverty can be having an untried faith. It's a service level faith. It's, it's one that speaks the platitudes and speaks the little sayings but has no real understanding of what they mean. Mm -hmm. A spiritual poverty of having no real insight. 
You have to depend on books. You have to read the books to understand what you're supposed to feel and how you're supposed to think of things. Uh, you, you're never really experiencing God. Your faith has never really been refined. That when God allows something tragic to happen in your life, you're saying, why? Mm-hmm. Well, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done all this. I ain't preached, I don't think I've preached anything at y'all that I haven't done. And I don't think I've preached any fault, any sin that I haven't been guilty of. I mean, I think I've mentioned smoking crack. I've never done that. But I mean, you know, but, but substance abuse, I've been there. Um, when I talk about spiritual blindness, I've been there. When I talk to y'all about pride, I've been there. When I talk to y'all about uh, sexual immorality, I've been there. When I talk to you about greed, when I talk to you about uh, being pharisaical and thinking, I've been there, okay? So just understand, I've been through this experience, mm-hmm. and you're in this experience, and you may have been through the experience, you may be going through the experience, But you take a man who has been a pastor most of his adult life and the Lord, a number of things happen. He dies of a heart attack or a stroke. He, he, he gets cancer and he dies of cancer going through a long, strenuous, suffering hospice experience. He, he, he loses everything uh, because of the way the finances work out. Uh, his church fires him because he dared get sick. Uh, nobody comes and helps him because, well, he's the pastor. He's supposed to have it all together. And he's there alone, just him and God and his family and the world around them is burning down. What's all that about? Mm-hmm. Now, I've combined several different people's stories in that example. But... If your faith hasn't been refined, you don't know what to think about something like that. But we've been through this as a church. Not the pastor having cancer part, thank the Lord. But we've been through fiery trials as a church. Not that the Lord or not that our church has been tried as a church, but that our individual members have been tried. And what have we learned? We've learned to see God through that. Amen. What do we learn from death? What do we learn from someone who has been faithful to the Lord, contracting or being diagnosed with a terminal condition, and we pray for their healing, but in the back of our minds, we know what the medical science says about this. What do we make of that? Well, just have faith and it'll all work out. Okay, I'm just going to have faith. Used to used to witness to a man who owned a cell phone store in Jacksonville, Texas. His block from coming to know the Lord was that his uncle was as faithful as a Christian as he had ever met. And his aunt had got cancer. And his uncle prayed fervently that God would heal her. The Bible says that the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. He goes, if my uncle wasn't righteous, I don't know who would be. And his prayers were fervent. And the Bible 
talks about how the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and if he's committed sin, shall raise him up. And he's quoting all these verses to me about how God heals. And his aunt still died. And I'm sitting there as a first-year seminary student saying, uh, you just got to trust God's will. You just got to give it all over to God. Let go and let God. I have an issue with sayings. Y'all will notice that. Um, you know what I didn't understand back then? And what he didn't understand and what a lot of people don't understand is that everything that God does, and it's within his will, is to bring us into his kingdom and into his presence. Yes. All things work together for the good of those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. That means that if I get fired today, I'll have a better job tomorrow. No, it doesn't. And I've always had trouble reconciling that in my mind because the Apostle Paul wrote that verse, and the Apostle Paul kept getting thrown in prison and kept getting beaten and wound up being executed. Why am I any better than that guy? I'm not. John on the Isle of Patmos, I mean, he had been in prison for preaching the gospel. James was martyred. And then James, the other James, was martyred. In fact, I think John, I think, was the only one that wasn't martyred. You know? How am I better than those guys? I mean, Paul says all things work together to, to the good of those who love God. And then four verses later, four or five verses later, he says, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. That don't sound good. I didn't understand. Romans chapter 8, you start at verse 1 and you read this thing. You can't treat the Bible like a collection of fortune cookie slips. Everything is within a, is within a that's the first time you've heard me say that, isn't it? That, everything is within a context. Romans chapter 8, Paul is talking about heaven. He's talking about being adopted into God's family. He's talking about how the whole creation waits for the glory which shall be revealed in us. That way, the, the lamb doesn't have to fear the lion anymore. See, he's going to be redeemed out of this thing too. And then he says, he talks about the spirit interpreting our prayers for us. And that all things work together to the good of those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. What that verse is telling us is that God wants to bring us into his presence. He wants you to know Jesus as Savior. He wants you to be one of his children. He wants to adopt you into his family. And when he gets you into his family, he wants you to be the kid that he can be proud of. Don't you love it when kids do things that make you proud? Talking to a man this week, he was proud of his daughter. She's about to graduate college debt-free. Amen. Rachel went to Howard Payne, and I'm not sure it's cost me a dime yet. I mean, that's pretty amazing. She's, she's providing for, for, for her education and going to Thailand and doing all these neat things. I mean, kids do things that make you proud, don't they? And, and, and it, isn't that a great thing? That's what God wants. Yes. He wants us to make him proud. But what he does is he teaches us how to do it through life's experiences. And he allows us to go through things to transform us. And as he's transforming us, he's pulling us closer to him. And as he pulls us closer to him, he's looking for the day that he brings us into his physical presence. He's looking forward to us coming home. Jessica and I, we have to get out of the house sometimes. Six children, five at home most of the time. 
They're good kids. They're good kids. But, you know, everybody needs quiet time. That's that's all it is. We'll go sit out in the in my car out in front of the house. And we'll just be sitting there. And for, you drove up on us the other day. Be sitting in the car just, you know. I'm sure at some point early PD is going to stop and, what are y'all doing? <laughs> you, you know, but, but we'll just sit there and we're just, it's just there and it's quiet and it's peaceful. And we can talk or we can get on our phones and look at Facebook or we can listen to music. And I remember one day Jessica and I are sitting in that car and, Rachel's car is coming back from Howard Payne. She pulls in behind the Chicken Express and hits uh, Orchard and starts coming toward the house. And, I mean, we can see her about the time she gets behind Hefs, you know. That's like one of the most precious things I get to see all day is that white Pontiac vibe coming up the road. Rachel's coming home. Unless she hooks a left and goes to Chick-fil-A because she's late for work. But, I mean, she's coming home. It's a precious sight, isn't it? You ever look out your front door and see one of your kids pulling up in the yard? That's a precious sight, isn't it? Uh, holidays, when you get to see everybody, family reunions, those are good days, aren't they? The Bible says in Psalm 116:15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I always wondered about that verse. Uh, death's not a good thing, God. Why is this precious to you? Because from God's perspective, his saint is coming home. We see, we see the casket. We, we see the chapel. We hear the singing of amazing grace. God seeing his child walk through his oh, gate yes. saying, I'm home, daddy. But if you're spiritually poor and you don't have a deeper faith than the surface level, piety little sayings that we have, God's little instruction book and that sort of thing, if your faith doesn't go any deeper than that, you don't understand that. And so when God calls one of his children home, you don't see it as they've been moved from a place of suffering to a place of eternal glory. You don't see it as God is being reunited with his child. What you see is God did something to me. And now I'm mad. And now I'm hurt. And I'm not saying don't grieve. There is healthy grief. You mourn the separation. All right, you do. Rachel walks through TSA at DFW Airport and turns a corner where I can't see her no more. And <laughs> little Leland jumps out of my heart and goes chasing her, you know. And this, this, this thing just comes out of here and I'm just like, okay, yeah, I got to leave before I start tuning up. There's another set of parents next to me. Their son was going off to Annapolis to uh, the Naval Academy. And he turned the corner too. And mom's like, well, let's just wait here for a while. And dad's like, no, i got to get out to the car. And I'm like, I feel you, brother. Let's go. You know? Because <laughs> neither one of us want to be the guys that tune up in the middle of DFW Airport. Now, I knew Rachel, statistically speaking, would be back in August. It's only going to be two months, but I'm just in the... All right. So if we're going to be separated for years, it's appropriate to cry. It's appropriate to mourn. Just mourn with hope. Spiritual poverty can be a lack of faith. You're not saved. You don't have Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. Spiritual poverty can be carnal living. The church at Laodicea. They had everything. They were rich. They were well off financially. They had it all going on. They don't need nobody. Jesus said, you think you're rich. You feel rich. But you're poor. 
So we need to turn to Jesus. It alleviates spiritual poverty by refining our faith. It alleviates spiritual poverty by clothing us in the righteousness of Christ. It covers and cures our spiritual blindness. The spiritual hopelessness. Like Bartimaeus, we cannot heal ourselves. The idea that we can bring ourselves to enlightenment is an exercise in self-delusion. You can fool yourself into thinking you've earned your salvation. You can fool yourself into thinking that you're righteousness. I can fool myself into thinking that I have not sinned this week. But I have. And I'm not just saying that because I know the Bible says I did. But I can confess it to you. I'm not going to. But I know what I did. I know where my heart was. I know where my motivations were. I know what my attitude was. Well, at least everybody gets a bad attitude. No, 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 no. We're not. Uh, to be human is to sin, and the sin is to be condemned. Therefore, to be human is to be condemned. We need the Father. We need the Son. We need Jesus. Amen. Verse 48. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus wanted to be, to be healed. He wanted to be given hope. He was crying out to Jesus for mercy. But the disciples were telling him to shut up. May we never be those disciples. But Bartimaeus continued to cry out to Jesus. He cried out more. Have you ever felt hopeless? Have you ever craved mercy? Have you ever done this and looked to God's people for help and they didn't help? They let you down. Guess what? You turn to God's people for help, they're going to let you down every time. And it's not because they're bad people, but they're in the same boat you are. That's what it is. If you call me and you say, Leland, this thing has happened. I need your help. I'm going to come over. I'm going to pray with you. And I'm going to say, brother, I'm here for you. You need me, call. I'm going to check back in with you. And I mean it. I mean it. I'm being sincere. But then I'm going to go to work. I'm going to be given a list. I'm going to go home. And I'm going to be looking at what i got to do. And I'm going to wake up the next morning. I'm going to have another list. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go home. There's going to be another list to do. There's going to be things. And you know what's going to happen? Before I know it, seven or eight days have passed and we haven't talked. I don't let you down. It's not, and it's, it's just, that's on me, but it's, it's, it's all of us. If you're looking to somebody else to bring you healing, to bring you peace, to bring you joy, you're going to be let down every time because all of us in our sinful condition, all of us in our broken condition, all of us in our hopeless condition, none of us is able to help the other. And so if you're looking to life point to make your life better, we're going to disappoint you. If you're looking to me to straighten it out, I'm going to fail you. Just write that one down. If you're looking to, the, to your spouse to fulfill you, your children, to give you hope, you're, you're looking to your friends to be the support group, they're going to turn you down. They're going to let you down. They may not turn you down, but they're going to let you down. We can't look to each other 
We can't look to other people. We can't look to sinful man to alleviate our spiritual hopelessness. We have to look to Christ. Amen. Amen. Be like Bartimaeus. Cry out. Yes. And when you cry out, Jesus responds. Let's talk about grace and redemption. We'll talk about access and grace and redemption. Verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He is confessing who Jesus is, the son of David. He is asking for mercy. He's begging for mercy. He is placing himself at the mercy of Jesus. That's an exercise in faith. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, that we are justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. You access God's grace through faith, and therefore you're justified, you're paid up with God, and you have peace with God. And that's what Bartimaeus is doing here. He's calling out to the Lord. Yes. He's having faith in the Lord. He's placing himself at the mercy of the Lord. And that's what the Lord responds to. In Luke chapter 18, there's a story of the publican and the Pharisee that were standing before the temple. Pharisee stands before the temple. We talked about spiritual poverty before. Pharisee's got it going on financially. He's spiritually poor because he says, Lord, I thank you for making me such a great man. I give to the poor. I tithe this. I take care of my parents. They named a park after me. I'm a good man. I thank you that I'm not like this publican over here. Man, look at this guy. He's a loser. And the publican not even lifting his eyes up to heaven. But the Bible says, Jesus said, he smote, his, he smote upon his breast and said, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And Jesus said, one of those men went home justified. And that was the publican. The Lord responds to faith and humility. He responds to those who place themselves at his mercy. God responds to that. And Jesus responded to Bartimaeus. He answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man answered and said, That I might receive my sight. Mm -hmm. You know what he just did? Yep. He made his request made known unto God. Amen. The Bible tells us in Philippians 4, 6, Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Mm -hmm. What are your requests? Salvation. Have you ever turned from your sins and trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Forgiveness. Maybe you're saved, but you've been out of God's will. You need to be forgiven. You need to be restored. You need the Lord to restore unto you the joy of your salvation. King David was saved when he committed the sin with Bathsheba. But he asked the Lord to create in him a clean heart and to restore the joy of his salvation. The Lord did that. Maybe it's healing, maybe it's provision. Whatever your request is, make it known to the Lord. Place yourself at his mercy and ask in faith. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight. Jesus answered Bartimaeus' request and granted his sight. This is a miracle. But don't get so focused on the miracle that you miss who did the miracle. That's right. 
You see, when Jesus does a miracle, there's a physical and a spiritual application. Physical application, Christ has the ability to heal blindness. He has the ability to heal disease. He has the ability to restore strength. He can answer whatever it is that you're dealing with. Yes. Spiritual application. Jesus has the power over spiritual blindness. He has the power over spiritual disability. Jesus saves, he forgives, he delivers, he restores, he encourages, he brings peace. Every miracle that Jesus does in the scriptures shows us who he is. Now you can be focused on the miracle and say, Bartimaeus got his sight, where's my sight? I want my sight. Bartimaeus got healed, I need my healing. You know, Bartimaeus got healed, I need my financial blessing that I prayed for. You're missing who Jesus is. You're missing the man who's at the center of a parade, who stops the parade to go through a crowd to meet this blind man, to heal this blind man. You're missing the compassion. You're missing the love. You're missing the grace. Exactly. Here we are, broken. Started out as lost sinners. I didn't wake up one day and say, I need to be saved. And I'll go to, the, go to the church and talk to the preacher and say, I need you to open the Bible up and tell me who Jesus is. I didn't do that. I did meet this young lady. And I said, I got to start straightening up. And so I did go to the church. But I wasn't seeking God. I was seeking a young lady. So I want to straighten up here. All right? Because she, she's not going to mess around with this foolishness I've been in. But then she'll start telling me about who God is, and yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that. No, but what did God do? He, he was graceful, and he reached through my stupidity to grab me by my spiritual neck and ring me around a little bit till he got my attention. He came off of his throne to reach down into my life to make the gospel known to me because I would know what my sin cost Jesus. And let's understand the Lord's love toward me. Yes. Yes. I turn from that sin. I trusted Jesus as my Savior. That's who we serve. Amen. And we serve a God who, even when we don't really want to talk to him right now, he's still going to be there. Yes. And he's still working to transform us. Yes, he is. The Lord paused his triumphal march to Jerusalem to help a blind man. This blind man, by the way, would never be able to do anything for Jesus in return. The Lord comes down from heaven, gives himself for our redemption. The Lord ever lives to make intercession for us. That's who we worship. Amen. And so we should follow him. Yes. Verse 52, I'm going to wrap this up. I've developed a habit of preaching in the lunchtime. No, 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 okay. But verse 52, I want you all to notice something. This is profound. Verse 52. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Yes. Notice that. Yes. Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Amen. Now we preachers, we get caught up on that. Thy faith hath made thee whole. But pay attention to those words. Go thy way. Bartimaeus is brought to Jesus. Jesus says, what do you want? I want to receive my sight. This man had faith. Jesus says he had faith. He trusted the Lord, knew who the Lord was, accepted the Lord as his Savior. Jesus heals his blindness says, go your way, your faith has made you whole. Yes. 
So Jesus just says, basically, poop, you can see. Yeah. Go live your life. Go do what you want. Go enjoy. And what does blind Bartimaeus, I can't call him that no more. What does Bartimaeus do? He follows Jesus. Jesus told Bartimaeus, he says, you got your wish. Go. Enjoy. And Bartimaeus said, I'm just going to follow Jesus. Jesus told Bartimaeus to go his way. He followed Jesus. You know what's sad? Jesus calls us to follow him, and we go our way. Jesus tells us to follow him. We decide we want to do what we want to do. We need to be like blind Bartimaeus. Amen. Where if Jesus said, whatever you want, you can have it. That's right. And our faith should be such that we would say, all I want is you, Lord. That's right. That's all I want. See, what would you ask for if Jesus said, I kind of like to ask that question now, but if Jesus said, you can have whatever you want, what do you want? I'd be halfway down the list before I realized what I did. But all the Lord wants us to want is to want him and to follow him. Yes. Y'all wouldn't believe it if I told you I only preached half an outline today.